don't know about you, but uh, my storage room is not that neat. You couldn't get through my storage room to find whether it was that neat or not. Uh, we're going to talk today about the storage room and uh, places that we store things that we may not need. And we all have those things that we don't need. Um, excess, abundance. We have those things not just in closets, uh, but also in our hearts. We have lots of things that we've stored up in there. Things that have no use and no purpose. Things that we don't need. Uh, question, raise your hands please. How many of you have a junk drawer in your home? Okay, I'm not alone. Some have more than one. I think I do as well. Uh, in that, you have things that you need, right? And you have things that you may need. And almost certainly, you have things that you will never need. And that's the same with all of us. Um, we all have those things. And cleaning up that junk drawer, and just like cleaning up the junk that you have in here, is, is extremely important. It can make a big difference in your life and the quality of your life. Um, Janie and I did a Bible study several years ago over in Spencer and it was called It All Goes Back in the Box and it was based on Luke 12 and the, uh, the parable of the foolish rich man uh, who wanted to build more storage barns and tear down the little ones so that he could store more of his wealth instead of giving it and, and then he found out that his soul was going to be asked of him that very day um, and so in this, in this series that we did it had pictures of this bedroom suit and this television set and, and this new furniture and the new couch and they were being dozed into a landfill. And at one time, those had been kind of almost the most important thing in these people's lives. And they all go back in the box. At some point, um, I, have no, uh, I, have, I have no misgivings that uh, my children will sell what things that I had that were important to me for next to nothing and they will have absolutely no value. And so... Those things that we accumulate, they're really not worth very much. Um, we all have more than we need. Would it surprise you to know that there are over 48,000 storage units in the United States and more every day? And that there are more of those than there are Starbucks and McDonald's combined. More storage units than Starbucks and McDonald's combined. And each one of those units contains things that people don't really need. Probably some things that they'll never use again. 90% uh, of the storage units that are in the United States are currently occupied, which means that uh, very many of them have junk in them. Um, if you used what was in uh, those storage units, you could fill up the Hoover Dam 26 times. 26 times you could fill up the Hoover Dam with the stuff that's in storage units. The U.S. spends 38 billion, with a B, dollars annually on storage units. 38 billion. The United Nations has calculated in their estimates for 30, million, 30 billion dollars a year, world hunger would be cured, would cease to exist. Eight billion in excess in just what we spend on storage units that we could cure world hunger. Our country. This, this is just the United States that we're talking about here. The problem is uh, the world tells us that we have to have things. It gives us a consumerist mentality. We have to have this. We have to have that. Uh, and, and those things, they occupy our thoughts and our, and our minds and, and everything that we have. They occupy our money. 
And worst of all, they occupy our hearts. They change our hearts. Having to have these things changes who we are and it's certainly not who Christ designed us to be. Would you be willing to consider that if you were to make a change in your lifestyle, that you could absolutely change the world? You definitely could change your world if you just consider that. Bear with me. Uh, Danny and I, a long time ago, when Oprah was still on the air, we'd watch Oprah once in a while. This is a no-shame zone, so don't make fun of me because I watched Oprah. Dave, I know you've watched Oprah before. Don't tell me you haven't. So there was a lady on Oprah, and this lady, she talks about cleaning out your closets and how much value there is in cleaning up what you don't even, you can't even enjoy because of all the junk that you have in there. You can't even find the things that you really like. And so she said, when you wash your clothes, put them on a hanger, put them in your closet facing one way. Every hanger at the end of a year that's facing the other way didn't get used in that year. That goes to someone else that needs it worse than you do. I agree with those things. I think that we all live with an abundance. We live with more than we need that someone else in the world could use or the money that we wasted by buying things that we don't really need could absolutely uh, fund, like we say, stopping world hunger. There's a guy named Warren Barfield. Does anybody know who Warren Barfield is? Okay. Warren Barfield wrote the theme song to the movie Fireproof. And Warren Barfield went on a mission trip to Ecuador. And he went to visit the the child that he and his wife sponsored. And when he was there, they led him, his guide led him into the mountains of Ecuador. And they stood at a place where fresh water came from a rock. And where this fresh water came from the rock, there were a line of people there. And there was an eight-year-old boy. And he waited with two buckets. And as the adults showed up, they pushed him out of the way. And they made him wait and wait and wait so that they could get their water first. And the guy told him, he said, every day this young boy walks two miles through the mountain passes and he comes here to get what water he can carry back to his family so that they can have fresh water. Now Warren Barfield said, I went home from that experience and I looked at my toilet and the hot and cold water in my sink and the hot and cold water at my washer and every place that I had either a hot or a cold water access with one knob to have fresh water and I had 24. I have 27 at my house. How many do you have? Where with one turn of one knob you can have fresh water while there are people in this world who have to walk miles through a mountain to carry buckets of fresh water back to their families. Are you willing to consider that maybe God has blessed the United States for a reason so that we can do for the world what He intends for us to do for the world? Not so that we can have storage units or extra stuff or five televisions in a house when you can only watch at most three, even with your kids in their rooms. Consider that. That's all I'm asking is that you would just consider that. You know, um, 80% of the world survives on less money than what each of us make in one week, in a year. 80% of the world. Abraham Lincoln once said, Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. That's true, isn't it?
money, power. That's a bigger test. It's easy to be humble when you don't have anything. When you have, it's not quite as easy. Jesus had power, but yet he modeled the standard of humility and humanity for all of us to follow. And in your scriptures, you can find all of those lessons that Jesus taught, not about his great power, but about his great humility and his great love and his great humanity. As a matter of fact, Jesus modeled a dependence on God. He talks about how depending upon God makes you fortunate or blessed. Having to have God in your daily life is a blessing. Not because you want to, but because you have to. As a matter of fact, the, the Beatitudes, they're called the beautiful attitudes, uh, are about that. And uh, they're written about people that we call the have-nots. The people that we don't think have very much. And in truth, maybe they are the people that have more. Because they have to depend on God. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. What's he talking about, poor in spirit? Humble. An attitude. I'll give you an example. There was a young boy and he went into an ice cream parlor. The young boy goes into the ice cream parlor, he looks at his change, he gets it out, counts it on the table, he's got a dollar three in change. The woman comes over to wait on him. He can't make up his mind. She stands there for three minutes, four minutes. He goes over the menu. Vanilla, vanilla with chocolate syrup on top. All of these things, chocolate, strawberry. The boy can't make up his mind, so the woman leaves. She's frustrated. She comes back a few minutes later. He says, I'll have a scoop of vanilla ice cream. So she brings him the ice cream and she brings him his ticket. She's frustrated with the young man. He eats his ice cream. He gets his dollar three out and he puts it on the table. It was 85 cents for his ice cream. For 15 cents more, he could have had chocolate on top of his ice cream. He pays his bill there, leaves it on the table, and he leaves. And the woman comes to the table and she finds a dollar three there. What was holding the boy up was the idea that he wanted to make sure the one who served him was given a tip. He traded in the chocolate syrup for himself so that the lady that was waiting on him could have the 18 cent tip. Thinking of others, that's what poor in spirit is. Those people who think of others before themselves, they're poor in spirit. In the rest of the Beatitudes, Jesus basically tells us that we're blessed by being humble. He says that we're blessed by placing others ahead of ourselves. In short, Jesus is saying in the beautiful attitudes that your lives, sorry to break you the news, are not about you. Your lives are about everyone else that's here. When you don't come to church on Sunday, you think nobody misses you. And the truth is that your presence here means something to everyone else that's here. You are a blessing to other people. That's what Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes. Um, now, our world tells us the exact opposite of that. It tells the world is all about me. It's all about what I need. I need. I need a new truck. I need the latest smartphone. I need Wi-Fi. Alexa, I need fill in the blank. Well, the Apostle Paul addresses needs and wants in his letter to the Philippians. 
in the Philippian church uh, who had sent him money for provision while he was in prison, we believe probably in Rome. And did you know, for those of you, I'm sorry if it disappoints you, if Philippians 4.13 is your favorite verse, I apologize because it is the most misinterpreted verse in the entire Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Truth is, it doesn't mean exactly what you probably think it means. As a matter of fact, in chapter 4, Paul writes, starting in verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's not a verse about conquering. It's not a verse about the great things that I will do. What it really means is I can make it through anything as long as I have God. I can be just as happy with a little bit or as I can be with a lot as long as I have Jesus in my life. That's what that scripture means. Paul's message is not about conquering, but about being content with God's provision for your life. It's about keeping the main thing, the main thing. Jesus and what he would have you be fulfilling your destiny for your life. I want to tell you a story. Surprise, surprise. It's about God's coffee is the name of the story. There's a professor and he's retiring. He's taught business for years and years. And he has graduates that have done great successful things in business. And so they come to his retirement party. And he, they're men and women who have achieved great things. He was considered a wonderful professor at the university. And so they come and there are so many people there that when they're having their coffee with their Danish and things, there's just not enough good crystal for everyone. So they get out the mugs and the other cups. You know, it's kind of like when you invite people over and you have so many people at your house, you don't have good glasses for everyone, so you pull out the Peace Express cups. Come on. You know you do. You've got them in your cupboard. You may have them hidden where the guests don't find them if they go to it, but they're there. We all have those. So what the professor, he finally sees all of these people and they're arguing about the coffee cup they've got. And so when he gives his speech and he talks, he talks about, you guys have done great things, but you're discontented with your life. You're discontented with your world. And you are because you've learned how to achieve, but you haven't learned the whole secret. It's the coffee. It's not the cup. And it's the same with us. We worry so much about what the cup is that we have and all of the things that we have and how beautiful they are and how they compare with everyone else's that we don't concentrate on what we do have. We concentrate on what we don't have. I want to tell you a story about Daniel. It starts in Corden, Indiana. If you know where Corden's at, it's down by the Ohio River. It's down by Louisville. There's a man and he and his friends... They're having breakfast at a, a, a restaurant, kind of a brunch, actually. And uh, they see outside the window, one of them sees a young man. He's got a backpack on. And dangling from the backpack, there's a sign. And the sign says, I will work for food. And they shake their head, and he and his friends discuss 
the poor young man, the situation that he's in. Well, they finish their, their lunch, and the one man makes an excuse to leave, the businessman, because he's being tugged on, his heart is being tugged on by the Holy Spirit to go and find the young man and speak with him. And so he does, he leaves, and he drives all over the town, and he can't find the young man. And he's just about ready to give up, and he makes one more lap around town, and behold, there's the young man on the steps of the church. And behold, there's a spot for him to pull his vehicle into right next to the young man. So he pulls in, and he starts to talk to the young man. He says, are you here looking for the pastor? He says, no, I'm just resting. He said, well, would you like to have some lunch with me? The young man said, well, I, I've had some breakfast. He said, yeah, but would you like to have lunch? He said, can I do some work for you? He said, no, I just want to buy you lunch. He said, well, that, that's okay then. So he decides he's going to go have lunch with him. As he gets into the vehicle with the man, uh, the man, he has a lot of questions to ask him. And he wants to know, you know, where are you from? Where are you going? He says, I, I'm going to St. Louis. He says, where are you from? He said, well, Florida, mainly, but kind of all over. I've been really traveling all over. The man said, how long have you been walking? He said, 14 years. 14 years. He knew that he had met somebody really special. The man had been walking for 14 years. The young man's face was slightly weathered. And he talked with an eloquence that really didn't belie someone that you would consider to be homeless. He had a warm personality. The young man took off his jacket and it said, he had a t-shirt on it that said, Jesus, the never-ending story. Well, the man's interest was piqued. So he asked him about all of this traveling around that he did. And he told him. He said, well, it all started when I was in Florida. He said, I got a job putting up a tent, and I thought it was for a concert or something like that. And then I found out that it wasn't a concert. I stuck around, and it was a tent revival. And I gave my life to Christ that night. He said, he told me to walk. And so I've been walking some 14 years now. So the man asked him, do you ever get frustrated? Do you ever get scared, tired, alone? Decide you want to quit? He says, oh, sometimes I do. He said, uh, I, see, I work for food and buying Bibles, and then I give Bibles out whenever the Holy Spirit tells me to give Bibles out. The businessman was amazed. This person that he saw as a homeless person was actually living on mission for Jesus Christ, traveling around, working to buy Bibles and give them out. The man asked Daniel what it was like traveling with just a backpack and a sign. And Daniel told him about some of his humiliations, how people threw things like a chicken bone at him and said mean things to him about being homeless. But he said, then it became humbling to me to realize that people's opinion of homeless people were being changed by me and by the life that I was leading and that I was being used by God. Well, the man's own opinion was changing also. They finished their breakfast and, or their lunch and then they had a little bit of dessert. And as they finished dessert and they started to go back to the man's car to take Daniel back to his place where he was going to start his next journey from, Daniel stopped at the door and he said, Come ye blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom which was designed for you from the beginning of time. For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. 
When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was a stranger, you took me in. The businessman felt like he was standing on holy ground. He asked Daniel if he could use another Bible. Daniel said, I can always use another Bible, but I prefer this one translation. I've read through it 14 times and and it carries easy because it weighs less. The man took him to his church and he found a Bible just like that. So Daniel got the Bible and he thanked the man profusely for what he had done. Before he left, Daniel asked the businessman, would you write in my autograph book? Because I ask people that I meet to write in my autograph book. The man wrote that Daniel's mission had inspired him greatly. That living for Christ had changed him in what he saw in one person. And he wrote a verse that you might recognize. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. From Jeremiah 29.11. As they're ready to depart, Daniel thanks the man for all that he's done for him. And before they leave, Daniel turns and he says, I know we just met and we're strangers and everything, but I just wanted to tell you that I love you. And the businessman said, I love you too. And he asked Daniel, how long has it been since someone hugged you? And Daniel said, it's been a long time. So on a busy street in Cordon, Indiana, in the drizzling rain, a man in a suit hugged a homeless man with a sign in a backpack. The man knew he'd been changed forever. As Daniel left, he said, I'll see you in the new Jerusalem. The businessman said, you bet. He asked the man as he left, he said, when you see something that reminds you of me, would you pray for me? He said, I sure will. Later that evening, after the rain had turned to snow, the man left his office. And when he left his office, he went to his car. And when he got in the car and he started to release the emergency brake, he found them. A pair of brown jersey gloves laying on the console. They were Daniel's gloves. And he wondered in the snow if Daniel's hands would be warm that night. And he thought about what Daniel had said about praying for him when he saw something that reminded him of him. And so he prayed for Daniel that night. If you see something that makes you think of me, would you pray for me? This world is becoming filled with people just like that. People who have lost their hope. They have nothing left. The only thing they have is somebody to give them some hope. And they're all not like Daniel. They're not all living on mission for Jesus Christ. But what they all are is children of God. They're all people that God looks at and loves them the same way that He loves you and making you think about those things. As you go into this next year, you're cleaning out your closets and you're thinking about the pounds that you'll lose and you're thinking about all of the things that will be different in this year. I want you to consider one thing. I want you to consider where at between Daniel who walked and gave every moment of his life to Jesus Christ and lived on mission and where you are today, is there a place in this next year that you can move a little closer to Daniel, that you can move a little closer to Jesus, that you can make room in your closets and make room in your hearts 
and shed some of the junk that you have that you don't need to be carrying around that Jesus never intended on you to carry, that he died so that you would not carry. I want you to consider what your life would look like if the contentment that you don't have became the contentment that you do have in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to consider what your world could change to be and what other changes could be made in other people's worlds. If we create just a little bit more space in our hearts for Jesus, I promise you He can change the world. He can certainly change your world. You know, there was a missionary who died in South America. His name is Jim Elliott, and and he is quoted as saying, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Jesus said in Mark 8.36, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What good would it be for your excess to be in the box or in the landfill when you go? When you can make a difference in this world today with your heart and with your billfold. And you can change lives. You can certainly have your own changed. Would you believe me if I told you that by cleaning out the closets in your house, you would clean out part of your heart? It's true. It starts right here and with your billfold. And it runs right through places like Big Brothers and Big Sisters. And it runs through places like Wheeler Mission and the Salvation Army and Compassion International. We could save $8 billion and still cure world hunger today if we let go of the idea that we have to have. I have to have. What you have to have, you already have. He gave his life for you so that you can be that person that he designed you to be, that beautiful creation of who you were designed to be. Let's let this year be the best year. Let's pray. Father God, I give thanks to you for this day and for these people, for this family that I love so much that I can't stand the idea that they would face you someday and not have a clean heart where they can tell you, I did what I could. Thank you, Jesus, for living in me. I just ask that as we leave this place today, that in all things, you would grow in us, you would change us each day, me included, that my life would change to resemble you just a little bit more, that in all things, the folks that you love in this world, which is all of them, that you would let us be our brother's keeper. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. So when this month began, uh, there's a few words that we heard all the time. Uh, Christmas. Amazon, Jesus, hopefully not in that order, but that's what you heard all through this season. And now you get past Christmas, and there's a word that we're going to hear a lot, and it's the word new. Think about how powerful that word is. Uh, people will share things like, uh, this is as good as new, or I need a new start, or daddy needs a new pair of shoes. I mean, new is all around us. But as you go into this new Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. 
Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.